the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Scientific research has proven that self-esteem is the product of three things. Boundaries, love, and discipline. And they found that if you have boundaries and discipline and no love, it's more effective than love without boundaries and discipline. David is the perfect picture of a dysfunctional father. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko with just a little bit of what you'll hear today on Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message is entitled, My Father's Keeper. At Reaching Your Heart, we believe God answers prayer. Won't you let us pray with you? The phone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Please stay with me for just a few seconds after the broadcast today. We have a very special offer we'd like to give you. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Grateful today that we have the privilege of being Christians. And part of that privilege means that we have the responsibility of being effective parents in our children's lives. What does this mean? Well, we don't figure it out exactly in our stumblings and fumblings, but if we are walking with you, it works. So help us, Father, to walk with you and get it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my son called me Thursday on the phone. He said, Dad, a small little problem here. You want to hear about it? Now, whenever my son says he has a small little problem, I want to hear about it. Okay? He said, well, Dad, I, I broke my thumb. I dislocated it, actually. Well, that's not a small little problem. That's a big, that's a huge problem on a dad's list. Well, tell me about it. How did it happen? Well, I fell down. Well, it takes a, a pretty heavy fall to rip your thumb out of socket. So he was on the way to the hospital. Diana was there as well on the phone. We were listening to him. He was trying to minimize it. Well, it's no big deal, really. I said, well, it is a big deal. I began to walk him through the problem a little bit. I said, when I was younger, I fell and dislocated my finger. I went to the emergency room, and it's awful. They yank that thing out and they put it back in and someone has to hold you down when it happens. I said, why am I telling you this? Because I want you to be prepared. So he got a little nervous. I later learned that they put him under anesthesia to do it. So maybe he took the, the word of advice and didn't go through with it that way. He'd actually ended up breaking a part of his bone as well as dislocating it and ripping it to pieces. And so he's in a cast the whole nine yards and he's on his way to be mended and so I'm grateful for that. Now, that's not bad news. That's really good news because my son's okay. Now, here's what's important. Both my wife and myself, we can vouch to this, that we care about what happens to our sons. I hope you heard that. I mean, if someone picks on my boy, they pick on dad. Now, I believe the meek shall inherit the earth, but I'm not too meek when someone's picking on my son. And I think that's the role of a father. I've noticed that my wife is a lioness. She has teeth and claws if you're messing with her children. Okay? 
That's a good response in time of trouble. But I have seen parents who leave their children to raise themselves. I've seen parents with an attitude that they don't need boundaries in their home. That somehow little Johnny or Susie will have enough sense to figure out how to raise themselves. That somehow there's enough intrinsic goodness in a child that a parent does not have to say no and maybe no real strong on occasion. This is a very foolish mistake. A child learns that you love them by the no's, by the boundaries, by the love. And yes, when you roll up your sleeves and you fight for your children when you need to appropriately. And there are times when parents fight for children when they don't need to. You don't need to fight for a child when the child is in the wrong. That's a dysfunctional approach to raising children. So some, some young people will grow up to feel like that they're victims or somehow they can do nothing wrong because they were never disciplined in their home. And discipline that comes later in life is a lot harder to learn than discipline that comes at the right time of life when a child is able to learn. I am my son's keeper, not the other way around. It is not my son's role to take care of me. It's my role to care for my son. In 2 Samuel 13.1, we have the story of a son who became his father's keeper. The Bible says, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Now this verse alone is full of tragedy. This verse alone shows you how messed up a royal family can be. It shows you that in the sacred line, within the family, the church of the ancient order, that we find a deep intrinsic problem right here. You can read it. It does not have to be expounded upon. Absalom is introduced in the story as the brother of Tamar. Tamar was named after the unfortunate widow of Judah's first son, Er, who was killed by the Lord because of his wickedness. Which means the Lord will only put up with so much, and at some point he'll say no more. And that was the case with Er. When Onan failed to raise up a child as the next of kin, he too was killed by the Lord. The Bible's clear. And Judah locked Tamar away from sight in his own house. Because of the sins of others, she was forced to live a lonely life in her father's house until extraordinary actions changed the course of her life. The name Tamar means palm tree. Her very name invokes the concept of fruitfulness. In the Song of Solomon, Solomon's lover is compared to a delectable palm tree fresh with fruit. Yet tragically, Tamar is void of any fruit. In 2 Samuel 3.3, we find the name of Absalom and Tamar's mother together. Absalom was the son of Maachah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Maacha comes from a Hebrew word that means to press or to squeeze. In some cases, it can be translated to be bruised or smitten. Now, we get a picture here. Imagine naming your daughter something like that. It means that something is wrong in the family. In the story, Absalom's mother was most likely a tragic soul whose heart was bruised by some kind of hidden wrong. She is an ambivalent shadow in the storyline, but nevertheless a formative figure for him. She is a broken figure in his life. Let's face it, there are people who early on, the first two or three, four years of life, who experience things that they can't talk about that changes the course of their life, that creates a sensitivity that is the wrong kind of sensitivity and a collapsed self-esteem. And those dear people are precious to the Lord Jesus. 
You know, what I like about Jesus Christ is that He can mend any wound. He can heal any kind of assault against you in your childhood. He can bring you to God's grace and put you together with a Father who will make it up for it in eternity. But it doesn't change the fact that you carry some of that through life. And so missteps are possible. In the story of her son, she will be pressed down and squeezed out of a future by the tragic death of her son, by the actions of Absalom and David. Absalom's name means father of peace. It's a strange name to name a son. King David named his son maybe hoping that he would become a father of peace one day. Uh, David was a man of war and he, he looked to Absalom possibly to be his heir like so many parents today, perhaps King David lived out his fantasies in the life of his children. Well, I did this wrong. I was fighting all the time here. I was a, seldom with my children. I will name my son the father of peace because he'll be different than me. He had hoped that his children would become something he was not and so he could redeem his past through them. Uh, this is a tragic flaw. G God didn't put your children into your lives so that you could change them to make up for your faults. God put them in your life so that they could live for God and have the right kind of support, the right kind of love, without being manipulated by whatever hang-ups you bring into the picture. And so there is the need for a secure parent in the story. He had hoped that his children would change the course of things, so he names him Father of Peace, Absalom. David named another son after the word Peace, shalom. Solomon is named after peace. So he's repetitive in this problem. I mean, he was a man of war. He wants his children to be people of peace. 2 Samuel 12, 24. The storyline continues. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba after his sin, after God's judgment, after the loss of the first child. He went into her and lay with her. She bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called the, his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Solomon named him peace, but the Lord wanted him to be named something else. The beloved of the Lord. David named his son because he had no peace with God. Because he had been a man of war. But God didn't want that to shape his future. When she became pregnant, he panicked. He stole Bathsheba from the house of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah's name means my light is the Lord. My light is Yahweh. And David put his lights out. He killed him. He had him murdered so he could take his wife. Nathan the prophet changed his name to Jedidiah, which means the beloved of the Lord. You may have come from a rotten mix of things in your life. Maybe your father made a mistake and that's why you're here. Or maybe your marriage, the marriage of your parents didn't work out and you're struggling with identity because of it. Friend, God reached into the mix found Solomon and God loved this boy and he became a man who was named the beloved of the Lord. No child should have to carry a name that makes up for the insecurities and the sins of the father or the mother. No child should have to correct the legacy of a failed parent. Absalom was named father of peace because David was an insecure father. He hoped that one day his son would do a better job than he did with his children, so he named him Absalom. He had laid the mantle of being a good father on the back of a boy who just needed to be a boy and a son, not a father. I mean, kids don't need to grow up too early. They don't need to be told that they need to act like something they aren't. A child needs to play. 
A child needs to learn to work as a child and mature according to the laws of nature, not to be pushed into a role that's unfitting for them at the time of life that they're enjoying. In the story, Absalom is the hero child. That's a dysfunctional role in, in family dynamics who carries the role of his dysfunctional dad, stricken with guilt, right into the grave. That's where he goes with it all. He's the one who does what dad should have done. He's the one who protects the family when dad should have protected his family. He's the one who carries the anger and the weight of the sin that was his dad's fault, not his. So he's trying to fix something, and it is not his role to fix it. In the story, Absalom becomes his father's keeper. 2 Samuel 13.1 Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Tragedy in verse 1. It gets worse in verse 2. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend. I mean, some kind of friend he was. You look at the story, this is the kind of friend you don't want to have anything to do with. I mean, I, I've talked to young people. They said, well, I have this friend. They're not a Christian. They don't behave right, but I'm trying to influence them. Well, if you can't influence them quickly, you need to stop being their friend. Did you hear me? Because they're going to influence you more than you can influence them. You know how I know that? Because I had friends like that. And when I became a Christian, I had to draw a line in the sand and say, that's it. I don't need those friends like that. I'll pray for them, but I can't change them if they don't want to be changed. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. That's just a fancy way of saying he's just mean, tricky, manipulative. He would get what he wants by using and abusing others. And he said to him, verse 4, O son of the king. He starts out with flattery. O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. The name Amnon means faithful. In the tale that follows, he is anything but faithful. David was hoping that this son who was named faithful, would make up for his lack of faithfulness in his own relationships. Now, in the law of Moses, it was strictly forbidden to take your sister as a wife. Leviticus 18.9, The nakedness of your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether born at home or born outside, their nakedness you shall not uncover. This is just an ancient way of saying don't marry someone and create an incestuous relationship. Amnon no doubt knew this law. But he allowed his feelings to govern his faith. And as a result, he was unfaithful to the word of God. With the help of Jonadab, Amnon begins to scheme and fantasize in places he should not. They devise a plan together. Imagine, together to fulfill his sick fantasies at someone else's expense. It went something like this. They rehearsed it well. Amnon will call for his father. He will feign sickness to him. And then he will ask for his sister to be sent to his room to minister to his health needs. You'll notice in the story that the plan, the scheme, the awful idea involves the king in the crime. To drag him in, to pull him in, is the plan. Amnon knows that if his father David is entangled in the matter and the mess, he will do nothing about it. That his moral resolve will collapse and he'll get away with the crime. 
You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. We'll continue with Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message in just a moment. But first, do you want to understand the Bible better? Do you have difficult questions? Have you ever wondered if God is so good, why do we live in such a bad world? What does the future hold? We know that you'll find answers in these new in-depth, full-color Bible study guides available for you with a donation of any size supporting this ministry. The phone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Call now. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxenteco. Second Samuel thirteen six. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Pray, let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Oh, what a sweet boy. Then Daniel sent, no, not Daniel. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. He should have been a little more analytical here. He should have had a doctor come in and check out his boy. He should have invested a little more energy rather than take his son's word for everything. I believe that when children are doing things that you need to question them at times. There's nothing wrong with a parent saying, now what are you up to here? David isn't capable of this. Verse 8, so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. Baked the cakes. In the Hebrew word for cakes, this word cakes sounds very similar to the word for heart. Cake and a heart They're homophonous. They sound the same. With cakes of bread in her hand, Amnon will take both her bread and her heart and consume them that day. In naive simplicity, she enters the room with the cakes in hand and her her naive heart ready to be devoured by the wolf in the family. Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf in the same room. She does not know what he is about to do to her. When everyone has left the room, Amnon seizes her and asks her to participate in his sin against herself and against God and really against Amnon. But he doesn't have the wherewithal to figure it out. 2 Samuel 13, 11. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this wanton folly. In other words, don't be an idiot. Don't be a fool. Don't change everyone's life in a moment of crazy thinking. Verse 13, As for me, where would I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the wanton fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now what a statement. In the story... The words of Tamar reflect another weakness in the character of their father, King David. God had strictly forbidden the marriage of a brother and a sister. The law of Moses is clear. After Abraham, that was out. But somehow Tamar knew that David would bend the rules of God to satisfy his spoiled son. She knew that he would stretch the boundaries of the Torah, of the law of Moses, to let him get away with it. After all, Dad was the king. Dad makes the rules and dad can break the rules. Dad sinned and nothing happened to him. Dad will make it happen. I sure hope the fathers here are not fathers like this. You know, if your children sin, hold them to accountability and love. Have a boundary in their life. Don't allow that sin to become a greater sin because you don't step into the mix and draw the line that God has called you to draw. 
in a classic study called The Antecedents of Self-Esteem, written many years ago, scientific research has proven that self-esteem is the product of three things, boundaries, love, and discipline. And they found that if you have boundaries and discipline and no love, it's more effective than love without boundaries and discipline. David is the perfect picture of a dysfunctional father. You see, David started out right, but because he really made a, a very foul decision with Bathsheba, God forgave him because God forgives every sin. Jesus says every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven man. And that includes David's sin. It was murder. It was adultery. And God got him through it. But the effects lingered in David's life. He was a paralyzed parent. His courage factor was so low. He didn't have the ability to stand up and do what was right for his children. After all, what's the difference between his sin and his father's sin? So if his father was unfaithful, he'd have a right to be unfaithful too. Now I'll stop here and speak to this. I mean, if you want your children to be absolutely tack right in their future relationships, you better do that with your wife. Now look, you may have conflict in your home, but if you're a man of God... You will love your wife. And love doesn't always mean having everything figured out. It means that you will be committed. And there must be no guesswork on her part that your eyes are looking somewhere else. Did you hear me? I'm being direct, gentlemen. Wow, it's silent here today. I expected an amen from some of the ladies in the congregation on that. Am I right? I mean, nothing will destroy a wife's sense of self-esteem to know that her husband's eyes are going somewhere else. And so there's reason, well, if dad did it, I can do it. No, that's not an excuse. But for the godly fathers around here, let's just be men of God. And you know, God will get you through the bumps and the, the mountain peaks, all right? What's good for dad is good for the son, Amnon reasoned. If God could forgive dad, then yeah, God will forgive me. Let's move on and be like dad. At this point, Tamar warns Amnon of the personal consequences she might bear if he sins against her in this terrible kind of way. 2 Samuel 13, 13. And as for me, where would I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the scoundrels in Israel. Now therefore I beg you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. I mean, she's begging him to do the right thing as she sees it. Now, this is the time following the times of the Judges. When the book of Judges ends, David is the transitionary figure, David and Saul, to the period of the kings. The book of Judges ends by saying every man did was right in his own eyes. And you can see that thinking right here in her statement. Now, the word scoundrel means fool. The word for shame indicates that she will be unable to marry and have children in the future. The word for shame first appears in Genesis 30, verse 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. She, Rachel, became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my shame, she said. I mean, it was believed in the ancient world. The only way you could live forever was to have children. Now, this was not God's idea. It was man's idea. There are godly people and there are wonderful people who serve the Lord who have no children, who can't have children. They can, through the Holy Spirit, make a profound impact in the lives of others. But it was believed somehow if you didn't have children, something was wrong with you. Well, that isn't true. I can think of one man who had no physical children on earth. You know who he is? The Lord Jesus. But he's the father of us all by grace in a way, right? 
So we should never have that idea running through the head. But back then, if you didn't have children, you had shame. So who will marry Tamar when Amnon gets through with her? But more importantly, how can she bear her shame for the rest of her life in this way? 2 Samuel 13, 14, But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Verse 15, Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. What an awful verse. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. Wow. Amnon is the classic example of a guy whose love is nothing but infatuation. It's forbidden love in the first place, but it's nothing but raw infatuation. Chemical love doesn't last, and it really isn't love. Love that ignores the Word of God in the end destroys everything it focuses on. Love that is based on passion, what you can get out of it at the expense of someone else, is nothing but an evil longing. It must be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Robbed of her virginity, Tamar begs to stay with Amnon. Now, it's a pattern that women who are taken advantage of in this way tend to cling to the person who hurt them. Did you hear me? A woman who's been taken advantage of in this way, it's very often a trend. They'll seek security in the relationship with the one who harmed them. The perpetrator becomes the security source for the victim. In the story, Amnon rejects Tamar and bolts the door to keep her out. 2 Samuel 13, 17, he called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now before that, she was his sister. But after the crime, she's just a woman he's trying to get rid of. Join us again next time when we continue with My Father's Keeper. We pray this broadcast has ministered to you today. When you support this ministry with a donation of any size, we'll send you the book, Soul Care, Becoming Whole in a Broken World, 888-244-HOPE. Soul Care is a small 64-page volume filled with practical information on how you can grow as a Christian and even thrive in the tough times ahead. Call now for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Please stop by the website reachingyourheart.com to listen to this message again. That's reachingyourheart.com. We hope you'll join us again next time here on Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.